Well, good evening, uh, and uh, thank you, Adam, for the introduction. Uh, it's a pleasure to be up here this evening, and uh, a pleasure to be here worshiping with you. I've never been uh, to Second RP before, and it is a, a, ple- a pleasure and a privilege uh, to bring greetings from the saints in Bloomington and uh, to share uh, in the, the fellowship of love that we have through God our Father. Uh, it is great to be here this evening. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3, uh, that'll, that'll be our text this evening, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Uh, these letters uh, that John writes to the early church, um, he's writing these, of course, very early on, obviously, in the, the history of the Christian church, um, really in its, its youth. And uh, many of these believers are, are struggling, it seems, uh, is the focus of John's letter, uh, with their faith, with, uh, with an assurance of their faith and of their salvation. And John writes to, to kind of calm these fears uh, and, in a sense, to, to reassure them the marks of a true believer, right? If you are manifesting these things, then you can be assured uh, that you are in Christ indeed. And so uh, we pick up here right in the middle of John's letter uh, in chapter 3, verse 19, as he begins to uh, expound another one of the marks of true believers. So... Uh, Listen and hear the word of the Lord. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because he keeps his commandments, uh, because we keep his commandments, pardon, and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And that's where we'll end the reading of God's word. Thanks be to him for his indescribable gift. Uh, well, I am, uh, as well as being a, a school teacher, I'm also the father of three young girls. Uh, and I've, I've learned a lot about just how much you really learn by watching uh, young children, both in school, but especially watching babes grow up. Uh, one of our daughters, she had the habit of, or was developing the habit of walking, uh, learning the skill uh, that we all practice, of course, every single day. She had a terrible habit. Uh, she would get up, she'd take one or two steps, and then fall down, no surprise there. Uh, and, but when her bottom hit the floor, she would just burst out crying, uh, as, if, as if it's all over. No more, I'll never walk again. I took my two steps and I'm done. <laughs> uh, but then you could walk over to her, take her by the hand, stand her back up again. She'd get up, she'd take two more steps, fall down again, burst out crying all over again. And it, it was just a constant process uh, of walking, fall, tears, walking, fall, tears. Uh, and it seemed like nothing could get through to her that it's okay, you'll make it. And <laughs> as much as we may laugh at, at this, uh, and it, is, it was comical, it's kind of annoying at the time, but it was comical too, uh, uh, right? We, we as believers do the same thing so often spiritually. It seems uh, funny and we can laugh at it physically, uh, but how often do we as believers go through life uh, taking a few steps in our Christian walk and then we, we meet something that causes us to fall? And we feel like everything's all over. We feel like we can't stand up and walk again. And it feels like the end of the world has come. But what John is, is writing here uh, is, is a reminder, right? a reassurance, 
uh, that God is there. God will take you by the hand and stand you back up again. And the Christian walk is not all over just because you've fallen. Uh, And so really what we have to see in this passage this evening, uh, and I hope uh, you'll see that God's message for us through his word here is that we must rest assured For God's spirit is transforming us to love and follow him. The message for you is rest assured because God's spirit is transforming you to love and follow him. And so the very first thing we see in this passage is that even as a Christian, you may face doubt. We see this right at the very beginning in verse 19. He writes, by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. John is writing this letter to a people who are struggling and whose hearts need reassuring before God. Uh, Doubt is just a fruit of living in a sinful world. And I think at times we need to be reminded of this fact, that we live in a world where we're going to face doubt. Uh, One of our Sunday school classes down in Bloomington is going through Pilgrim's Progress, and as uh, the Lord would have it, the message this morning was on Christian and uh, and his brother hopeful being stuck in Doubting Castle, being met with uh, the trial of despair and and while John Bunyan essentially has them only meeting with this uh, difficulty when they go out of the path, uh, I, I don't think that's the case, uh, really. I, I think every one of us goes through some period of doubting and trial uh, in the Christian life. It's just a fact of being in a world marred by sin. Uh, we are sinful and fallen human beings who have a difficult time hearing a perfect word from a perfect God. Uh, And uh, that doesn't mean that we ought to go looking for places to doubt. That doesn't mean we ought to uh, not take God at his word, because he does have a sure word. But it it should be a reminder that what you're going through, if you find yourself in a season of doubt, is a normal thing, and it's something that other believers have gone through, too. Another thing that we need to remember with that is the fact that doubt itself is not a sin. But it's a, a fork in the road, a trial, if you will. Will you go God's way, listen to the word that he's putting before you? Or are you going to listen to a different voice in your head or in your heart or from the world? Are you going to listen to lies or listen to the truth? And that is your opportunity to submit to God and his word. And we are not the first generation to face doubt and trial in our hearts. This has been going back to the garden and back to the very uh, earliest generations of the faith. Um, I have here Uh, From Genesis chapter 17, God's speaking to Abraham and calling him out. Uh, And in chapter 17, verses 15 through 18, God says to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and I imagine you and I expect the word worshipped. But instead, the word that we read here is, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Right? Abraham truly desires to see this fulfilled. And he says, I, I have a means. Can't you just use this? There's no way this other thing is going to happen. And God then responds to Abraham, but God's response to Abraham is not, oh, you fool, oh, you sinful little being. It's not chastisement, it's not punishment. God reassures him once more of who he is as his God. As the very character of God's word comes to Abraham, Abraham 
is transformed. And the next thing that we read just a few verses later is that Abraham then took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. He then obeyed God, having been affirmed in God's word. He had doubted, and the Lord came to him with gentleness and with hope and with the promises of his word. He reaffirmed to him who God himself was. And so it's important for us to remember that doubt itself is not a sin, and you are going to face doubt. But again, just like Abraham, we have to, we have to find the fork in the road and then take the right opportunity. Right? Are we going to fall on our own understanding, lean on our own understanding, as the Proverbs warns us against, or are we going to fall on the promises that God has made to us that we can hold up uh, and look at in his word? So don't fear the state of your salvation simply because you're doubting something about God's word. Uh, it, is, it is a very common uh, experience for Christians because doubt can drive you to faith if we're taking what the Lord has given to us in his word. Just like our daughter, uh, our heavenly father will pick us up by the hand and he will help us to walk again. But we have to keep that big picture in mind that the Christian walk is a whole life walk and God will always be faithful. Well, if doubt is not a sin, what really is the danger of doubt. Why does the Bible warn us against it? That brings me to my second point this evening, that you must beware a doubtful heart because it keeps you from coming before a holy God. We must watch out of doubtful hearts because this is what keeps us from coming before a holy God. In the coming verses, in in verses 20 and 21, uh, John writes, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And so John gives us two states that your heart can be in. There's many, uh, many forks in the road this evening, right? Your heart can be in a position, in a state of, of seeming condemnation, or our hearts can be free from condemnation. Uh, and this word here for, for condemnation that John uses uh, it can also have a number of other meanings in Greek, but one of them is this idea of accusation. Uh, and, and condemnation, of course, carries with it the, the, this legal idea of finality, this sort of nothing more can be done once somebody stands condemned. But accusation is not, not so much the case, and this is a, a legal word that's, that John uses here. Maybe not every one of us goes through every day of life feeling condemned with finality all the time. And it's good that we don't, because the Bible has promised that, in, in fact, we do not stand condemned before God if we are his. But who of us does not go a day or a week without something accusing us in the back of our minds? Right? Who of us doesn't go a week or a day without the voice in the back of your head saying, oh, you really shouldn't have done that, I don't know. I know it's a struggle for me to go through a week without that sense, that voice just sitting in the back of your mind and accusing you. And this, I think, is what John has in mind, this this nagging voice in the back of our heads, this this shame that can be brought upon us. And this is why he says, uh, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Because the opposite is also true. When our heart is condemning us, when our heart is accusing us, we don't tend to have confidence before the throne of grace. The danger of doubt is that when you believe the wrong voice, it keeps you from going before God. 
That's the real danger of doubt. That we might choose the wrong fork in the road. And we might dwell there, as Christian and Hopeful did in Doubting Castle. But God is the one who can fix the problem. God is the one who can heal us. God is the one who can put our hearts in a right posture before him. And so the answer to this is you can't stay away from God. Uh, Before I started working at the school that I'm teaching at, I was working a a sales job, a phone sales job, and I will tell you that I was very, very bad at it. Uh, And I'm happy to say that because it works great for this illustration. It's also true. Uh, But uh, I had gone three months uh, at this job with no sales whatsoever. Um, And they had told me uh, it was the first three months, so I had yet to make a sale three months into the job, and they had told me that if, if things don't clear up in the next month, you will not be working here anymore. Uh, and I remember right, just essentially sitting there and doing the same thing that I'd been doing for three months, uh, watching my manager watch, watch my numbers. I'm sure that up on his computer screen, he was only looking at my name for an entire month. It's not true, but... Uh, but I, I remember right, feeling this, this heavy burden, this, this shame about not not having accomplished anything in three months. Uh, and at one point, finally standing up, walking down the hallway past every other cubicle and knocking on his door and saying, what, what do I do? And it was then that my boss said, well, go back to the basics. What did we teach you in training? Go through step one, go through step two. And, it, and, and looking back, it's such an easy solution. Go back to the basics. Don't try to be fancy about it. Don't try to make up your own thing. Just do what we told you to do. And, and in a sense, that's really what John is saying here, right? It, when I was in that job, my shame kept me from doing well. It kept me from going to the person and actually asking, what am I supposed to do to fix this? And in our shame, too, when this accusing voice sits in the back of our minds, we have a tendency to do the same thing. We'll refrain from going to the one person who can fix everything. The one person who has an answer for when there's a problem. Go back to the basics and go to God. That's the simple solution. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. But there's something else beautiful in that passage right before he says that. He says, for whenever our heart condemns or accuses us, God is greater than our heart And he knows everything. Sometimes we have a tendency to keep to ourselves when we're ashamed because we think, well, if God doesn't discover that, then it won't be a problem. But no, it's easy to to get into that feeling. And of course, when we're not ashamed, we we recognize and we affirm, of course, God knows everything. But this passage is here to remind us, yes, God knows everything. God knows every, sure, good thing that you've done. God does know every wicked and shameful deed that you've done against him. But if God has declared you innocent, if God has declared you uncondemned, we have to remember that he's greater than our hearts. The, the word, it seems silly to translate this word differently, but the word is actually just bigger. It's not necessarily superior or of a greater degree. The word is just, God is bigger than your heart. Maybe you've had the pleasure, like I have, of driving down the highway, and in one rearview mirror you see a little smart car, and in the other mirror you see a two-trailer semi, and you think to yourself, if those two got in a collision, I think I'd know which one would get out okay. But that's, that's what John is saying about your heart. Whatever your heart is thinking that's not in line with what God says about your heart, 
It's not going to stand a chance when it comes up against God, who knows everything, including the real state of your heart, whether you lie condemned or not. So when our hearts, our understanding of ourselves meets up against God's understanding of who we are, we can pray and know that our idea of ourselves should lie mangled on the side of the road. And let God's truth about you and your state before him be what prevails. So the solution is easy. Go before God when in a state of condemnation or accusation. Go before him. Ask him forgiveness. Ask him rest for your heart. Ask him whatever you need because he says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Speaking particularly of this peace before the throne. So doubt will keep us from coming to God, but God has an easy way to solve this. It gives us something of a, a litmus test to show our true heart condition. So that brings me to my third point this evening. You must submit your heart to God, allowing you to rest confidently before him. Uh, this is a, an accumulation of everything we read in these passages, that by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. He goes on to say, this is his commandment. In verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So John gives a litmus test, right? Examine your heart, right? A litmus test is that thing in in chemistry where you dip the paper in and you get an instant result as to, to what the solution is that you're dealing with. And John says, right, take a look at your heart. Look for these proofs, these marks of a true believer. Right? As believers, yes, we, we affirm, yes, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ. And we have to recognize that if we are in Christ, that second part is true. We have been made alive together with Christ, and we're going to do the good works which he has planned in advance for us. So even if you're in a period of doubt, uh, a seeming despair, right, there, are, there are truths that God has made evident in your life. There is proof that he is working. Uh, we may, uh, I should say, in, in periods of doubt, it becomes easy to affirm this idea that we're dead in, in trespasses and sin. But, but this is what John is pointing to here in verses 23 and 24, right? Look back. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. This is what he's alluding to right before the, the passage that we began. In, in verse 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. If we look at our hearts and ask ourselves the question, am I loving and following God? Am I loving my fellow believers? These other people that God has put me in community with? Am I looking to God's commandments and maybe I've fallen and stumbled this time? But do I look different from how I looked before the Lord redeemed me from this? Do I look more like a person alive together with Christ than a person dead in trespass and sin? Because you can tell the difference between a dead body and an alive body. And we need to do the same thing in our own hearts, right? Am I being faithful to grow in God's word, to be sitting under preaching, to be uh, loving 
brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not things that naturally occur to a fallen man. These are evidences that God is working in your heart. These are evidences that the Spirit is at work in your heart. This is what Jesus says himself in John 15, 5 through 7. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this sort of confusing verse 24 that John puts here, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is John echoing back the words of Christ that he had heard so many years before. It's a reminder that God's people grow in the fruit of the spirit because God has given his spirit to them. This is not something we manufacture ourselves, but it's a beautiful, beautiful response to God putting his spirit in us. Of course, the question then comes, are you bearing fruit? Are you attached to the vine? What is the fruit of a life filled with the spirit? Well, Paul says it very simply, the fruit of the spirit, we know these, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is what is right and good, in other words. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is a way to look at your heart and look at your life and see if the Lord is working the fruit of a Spirit-filled life within you. These are not natural to fallen man. So if you can look and see growth in any of these things in your life, you should feel assured by the Spirit which he has given us that you are uncondemned before Christ. And then we have to do what God suggests. Go back to the basics. Go to God and ask him to grow us in these things. Ask him, praying, practicing the means of grace. Pray for faithfulness uh, in attendance of worship services, in hearing the word preached, in being in the word, in serving others, and loving the people whom God has given you. Pray for humility, uh, not just in interactions with others, but humility before God's word, so that even as we feel our hearts accusing us, that we are also humble to recognize that we aren't the ones with the last word, that God's word is the final say up against our hearts and minds. Be praying for a transformation. Be praying, praying for trials. Be praying for the preaching of the word, not only as you listen to it, but for those of us who are preaching the word, that we would be faithful to execute the word that the Lord has for us. Pray, even as John suggests here, that his spirit would help you realize the growth in your life and that it would be a comfort to you. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. See, God doesn't just leave us to flounder, but God gives us a sure hope and assurance when we submit our hearts to God that allows us to rest confidently before you. Well, when we submit to God's command and our doubtful heart is comforted by the Spirit, what else do we have to do? John says very simply that you need to rest assured, for God's Spirit is transforming you to love and follow Him. Well, we've seen that doubt can well up in anyone's heart, and we know that it can drive a wedge between us and God, and God has made a way. And when we follow His command, there is life and peace to be had. 
So, as John has summarized, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're praying about these things and asking for the Spirit's comfort and still feel the distress of doubt, it may be that the Spirit cannot confirm growth in your life. It may be that, that you've been going through the motions. And it may be that uh, you've been, as I was, sitting at your cubicle, spinning your wheels, going nowhere. But if that's the case, this message is just as much for you as it is for anyone else in this room. It's the same message. Go back to the basics and go before God and ask for growth in these things. Ask that his spirit would fill your life and that it would bear fruit so that you can honor God with your life and also feel this sense of rest and peace in your heart in the midst of the turmoil of sin in our minds. It may be that we need to look very deeply and ask ourselves, am I really following God's commands? And in those places where we're not, we need to change. We need to stop loving the things of the world. And we need to begin pursuing, loving one another, following his commands, believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. And if you can see only a small sliver of growth in your life, You need to remember that that's the work of the Spirit. And that is the comfort that the Lord is giving to you. A little bit of growth, a little step forward, is only possible because God is keeping you attached to the vine of Christ. The Westminster Divines beautifully sum up these words that John has for us. It's God's message. In the larger catechism, in question and answer 80, They ask the question, can true believers be infallibly assured that they are in the state of grace and that they shall persevere therein unto salvation? And the answer we've been given is, such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before him, may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith grounded upon the truth of God's promises and by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made, And his spirit bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God. True believers may be infallibly assured that they are in the state of grace and shall persevere therein unto salvation. If we are bearing fruit and showing the graces to which the promises of life are made, then God does infallibly assure you that you are in the state of grace. So don't let one stumble and fall cause you to burst into tears and think that the end is nigh. But be comforted and assured that God does extend his hand, his spirit of peace and of rest. I've gotten into the habit lately of putting a to-do list on my desk at work for everything that I need to accomplish in a given week. And uh, and hopefully by Friday, everything has got a, a little check mark next to it. Lately, that's not been happening, but most of the time, if I am able to check off every little thing, then I can come to Friday afternoon and go home and kick my feet up as much as three small children will let me, and enjoy the weekend with my mind clear. But if I go home on a Friday and I try to to relax and pretend that every box is checked when it isn't, uh, I I really can't rest. And I, I know that many of you must know this feeling of not really being done with everything that needs done. 
But through John, God is reminding us that your to-do list has one item on it because that one thing has been done by Christ. His blood was shed for our transgressions. He died in your place, and everything that you need to do to have fellowship with the Father is done. You can rest. And no amount of worry, no amount of shame and regret over past sins is going to work off that to-do list. What Jesus has done is done. And you can rest, no matter what else comes up along the way. So when your heart accuses you, don't let it keep you awake at night. Don't let it keep you away from God, but sing with the psalmist. So in peace I lie down, I will rest and sleep, for O Lord, you only will me safely keep. And if you don't know this comfort, God wants you to know that it is available to you because Christ has completed everything. And all you need to do, brothers and sisters, is rest assured because God's Spirit is transforming you to love and follow him. Let's pray. Our God, we do thank you that the to-do list is done in Christ. We confess that at times we think that our own hearts are greater than you. We think that this nagging voice in our heads has the ultimate say in our state before you. And God, that is not true. You are so much greater than our hearts. And you give this assurance in your word that if we are following your command and we believe not in the work that we are doing, but in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, then we can rest and rest assured before you. God, we pray that uh, as we go forth this week and we will certainly hear this nagging voice in the back of our minds again, we pray that we would stop then, come before your throne of grace, ask for your spirit of comfort, and know that indeed you are always with us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And that if we confess our sin, you are indeed as John wrote earlier in this letter, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all trespasses, every single one. God, be with us as we go forth this week and uh, allow us that we might hide this word in our hearts to know peace and comfort that comes through Christ and is delivered by your spirit because of your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.